This is Web3 Breakdowns. Web3 Breakdowns is a series of conversations exploring innovation in the decentralized internet. Each episode, we will focus on a different topic. We will cover NFT projects, crypto assets, blockchain-based protocols, and businesses being built with Web3 architecture. We will talk to founders, artists, investors, and influencers to understand this emerging ecosystem. Come join us down the rabbit hole. To find more episodes, transcripts, and a library of content to continue your learning, visit joincolossus.com. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions. Hosts and podcast guests may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This is Eric Goldman, and my guest today is Jared Bray. Jared was recently elected head chef of Sushi Swap, one of the most recognized decentralized exchanges in crypto. We discussed the pros and cons of a community-led governance structure, how and why Jared decided to campaign for this CEO-type role, and the opportunities to improve SushiSwap's structure over the long term. Please enjoy this conversation with Jared Gray. Today, I'm very excited to record, I think, the first podcast with Jared Gray since his announcement of appointment to head chef of SushiSwap. Jared, thank you for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me, Eric. Really appreciate the time. So the news of your arrival was brought with much fanfare, but to say it was a tumultuous week for you is probably the biggest understatement. So let's just talk about the horse in the room here. A former colleague had some pretty big accusations against you, both professionally about your prior work experience and then a salacious comment about you personally. I just thought it would be good to start there to let you address the crowd, and then we'll take it from there. We'll start with the horse accusation first. It's the internet. People can say whatever they want. It was a comment joke within the thread of some maybe more serious allegations, right? They were pointed out by the original poster, but the horse thing was just kind of like a joke that got out of hand because crypto Twitter, they like to meme things and it turned into a meme. It's obviously false. The guy who posted the comment in the original thread of all places to have an interview Rolling Stone did an article and interviewed the guy. He basically came out and said it was completely fabricated in a joke. So as far as the accusations are concerned, the OP, the original poster of the allegations was one of my like very first public docs projects within crypto. We had a team member that was involved in some theft. And I was the CEO of that project at the time. And this guy helped us actually identify and expose the team member that had taken part in that theft. And so we handled all this in 2019. And I was pretty much just surprised to see that this person, I don't know if it's some personal agenda or whatever, but all this stuff went through the legal proceedings against the former team member that actually committed the theft. And it's, as far as I'm concerned, just completely unfounded, I guess, maybe out of spite or something. I don't know. They're just completely untrue. I was actually involved in exposing the guy and helping to bring the whole thing to light and to refund our users that were affected by the theft. I think if people want to, you've written a couple of Medium posts reintroducing yourself to the crypto world and sushi community. So let's do that now. Tell us a little bit about going back, how you got into crypto, what your early career was leading up to this new role. Well, I started an IT and engineering 
consulting company and had that for about 15 years. I did a lot of like DOD and government contracting work, like building monitoring systems. And I built some stuff for like the National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration. Just a lot of one-off jobs that were based on my background, which is computer engineering. From there, I have a lot of friends, obviously, who are in the Web2 tech area. I think I want to say I heard about Bitcoin from one of them around like 2013 or something. I was just too busy to even pay it any mind. I think maybe I jumped on and saw like something about Bitcoin and Silk Road and was like, oh, I don't have time for this or what this is <laughs> and just kind of moved on. And then a close childhood friend of mine in 2015-16 was doing stuff on like local Bitcoins. He was like buying Bitcoin and involved in that marketplace. So I picked up an interest there and it really kind of took off when I read the white paper because I've been a lifelong libertarian and like Austrian economics, sound money, the whole principles of that philosophy are really attractive to me. So I just kind of got into it full time as a hobby. And then I kind of hit the ceiling on what I could do as a consultant. I was just kind of bored with it, to be honest. And this stuff just took up more and more of my time. 2016, I was really starting to contribute full time as like a, you know, engaged with some communities and then helped co-author some white papers and did some engineering contributions to some technical white papers and stuff like that. And it just snowballed. The longer you're involved in crypto, it's traditionally it's just kind of been like very niche industry and you network very quickly. And if you're reliable and trustworthy, people just kind of like gravitate towards those people. And so I was given more and more opportunities. And here with SushiSwap, I think for me, this is a dream opportunity to help lead one of the main leading DeFi protocols that has been really community-driven since its inception and since really the creation of what we call DeFi as a market. So before we dive into DeFi and SushiSwap's role in it, I think it'd be helpful for someone like you with this level of experience to kind of give people a level setting of what is a decentralized exchange? How is that different than a traditional exchange? I think most people who have experienced crypto have at least interacted with a traditional exchange at one point to upload fiat, convert it to crypto. But where do DEXs fit in that crypto ecosystem? This question is actually like, for me, it hits pretty close to home because in my last really like main CEO role was CEO of a startup centralized exchange. The main difference is that with a centralized exchange, you are custodying people's assets and you're matching buyers and sellers and creating those markets for them to interact. And you carry the liability and the responsibility of those assets under management. Whereas with a DEX, the stuff's happening on chain. You don't have that centralized custodial counterparty or middleman rather involved in the process and you're interacting without that centralized liability or centralized operator taking part in the transaction. DEXs are just, in my opinion, the truer extension of what the peer-to-peer -peer cash thesis of Bitcoin and value transfer using blockchains as a tech layer. Let's go further down that a little bit, because I think that when, whether it's a regulator or a trade five person or just someone who is aware of financial markets, I think they can compare a traditional exchange to a crypto centralized exchange. But a decentralized exchange just goes out a little bit further on the confusion of how it works. And so to help people understand, you know, when you have an exchange, 
you have an order book, you've got people that are usually making markets or trying to, to your point, have matching engines to match buyers and sellers. But the way liquidity is provisioned in a DEX is very unique. Could you explain at a high level how that process works? With a DEX, you just have a pool where anyone can participate and they can commit assets to make that market. And then counterparties come together and then trade off that pool. I mean, you have makers, takers, same kind of principles. It's just how it's architected is more egalitarian. So people are able to participate in these markets, leveraging the technology in a way that before it was reserved for larger institutions that had the capital wherewithal to put these centralized entities in place and manage that liability. You know, on-chain allows that liability to be transferred into a transparent setting and managed by code. DEXs are definitely the future. I think we have to iterate on some of the pool pricing models and make them more efficient so that things like impermanent loss, oracles, the way they handle data. Before I go there, you want to just explain to people what impermanent loss is as kind of the main critiques against DEXs? Impermanent loss is an interesting concept. It really comes down to what is the value of crypto? Are you trading against a fiat value? Are you trading against crypto value? And I think that's going to be part of the fundamental shift in crypto's long-term value capture and its value offering to the public. Is like, do digital assets have a place to supplant fiat currencies or to be in parity with them? That's where I focus on this argument because it's like a philosophical one that seems more intriguing to me than like a pricing model for an AMM. Going back to your point before that about just the centralized exchange versus decentralized exchange debate, I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but I think, you know, it was somewhere around maybe 90% for centralized versus the decentralized. But honestly, it's really impressive to me that the decentralized were in the double digits of share of trading. So just to clarify, do you believe that long term that DEXs will surpass the centralized exchanges in volumes? Or how do you think about, do they both exist in the future? just for different use cases. Centralized exchanges have a really solid grasp on the user experience. And it's easier to build a centralized exchange that has a high value user experience than it is to build a decentralized exchange with an equivalent user experience. I view that statistic of centralized exchanges having more volume as just an opportunity for the user experience of decentralized exchanges to improve. And they've only been out a couple of years. I say we probably have to give it more time before that metric and that sample size of that metric has any real validity. If five years down the road, the user experience is one-to-one and a permanent loss and pricing within oracles and all of these layers that make up a DEX are on par, I think that you'll see that decentralized exchanges are outperforming that volume metric when compared to uh, centralized competitors. I'm curious how to kind of switch gears a little bit to just kind of the history of SushiSwap before you got there and maybe your perspective as the CEO of Bitfion, like looking from a central exchange to a DEX at that time. So looking back at the kind of SushiSwap history, when people kind of tell the story, they usually start with Uniswap and the vampire attack. And I know that some people think of that word judgmentally, but the reason why I just wanted to go back to that point starting and then obviously where SushiSwap is today is just that when you think about building open source protocols, to me, it didn't seem 
like such a negative. I wasn't there when it happened or have these strong views of it. But could you just give us a little bit of, in the DEX world, what the lineup looks like? When I was at Bitfinian and we were running that exchange, we were actually one of the very first wallets to liquidity mine SushiSwap's token. One of the very first DeFi ICOs that I ever took part in was the ETHLEND ICO, which obviously became Ave or Ave or however you want to pronounce it, which if you follow DeFi at all, I think still is by TVL metric, the largest lending protocol in DeFi. I was really involved early on with Sushi in that aspect. I would say that the community portion of it didn't become interesting to me until Sushi started to take off and really become a player. And I think the value there is because it's actually similar to the exchange that I ran, the centralized exchange, because we actually, in 2017, in our white paper, ideated a similar type of sharing mechanism from volume called the share pool. So you could take our token, you could deposit it in the centralized exchange, and you were entitled to your portion of 50% of the trade volume fees that were occurring on the exchange. So when I saw that Sushi moved into that realm by taking a portion of their LP rewards and moving it over to ex-Sushi holders who were staking on chain, I knew firsthand that that was going to be something that was really interesting to people because it achieved almost an 89% lockup rate for our token on our exchange just in the centralized model. And that was at 50-50 with Sushi. It's 90-10-90% going to the community, 10% going back to the Sushi treasury. So, I mean, that's just a massive value to people who want to take part. I think it was also for Sushi, really, the vampire attack was less about predatory, at least in my book. I'm sure people disagree with me, but I think when I look at it, it was a value capture for people who weren't able to participate early on with Uniswap. And then you add in Xsushi and it makes it even more attractive. But you know, you see that with Forks too. There's a project that comes out, it has a lot of success and a team will come out, they'll fork it, they'll make a couple of changes. And then if the value proposition is really strong, they can spin up a really successful project. And that's the great thing about open source. You have access to all of these tools and it really just comes down to your wherewithal to want to create and be part of something. That's really helpful context because I think it will come up a bunch. I have less of a desire to have a CEO of one company talk bad about a competitor because I don't think that's what it's about. But I do think that we have a lot of experiments going on in crypto. And it's really interesting to say, okay, they're running this way with this structure. This other thing is running this way with that structure. What are the pros and cons of it? So I think when we talk about Uniswap, that's really the angle that I'm curious about is you have this, I don't know if more centralized is the right word or how you think about framing it when you think about the two of like truly community run versus something like a Uniswap. Like, how do you think about explaining those two to the average person? First of all, I just want to say, like, when I think about Uniswap, I don't think of them as a competitor in the sense of like someone that needs to be conquered. I think of them as someone that is providing a healthy competition for you to challenge yourself to do better. And doing better is really generic. But the way I define that is to continually challenge yourself to innovate. So Sushi has an opportunity to take maybe where it's underperformed in areas prior or historically over the last couple of years and change that narrative and become something that can innovate. A lot of the innovation for Sushi versus 
where maybe the innovation is for Uniswap is that the majority of our products have come from grants and participation from community members who want to take part in that community decentralized theme. We have a really interesting experiment going on regarding decentralized governance, really with Uniswap and SushiSwap. Sushi's going about it a little bit differently, but Uniswap's having a lot of the same kinds of discussions like with their fee switch. Do they want to turn their fee switch on? Now you have people who are LPs not wanting to turn it on because it potentially makes their liquidity provisioning activities less competitive. And that's an area where these types of governance conversations become really interesting because you have everyone who has a vested interest in certain parts of the protocols giving their feedback and their input. And that is the really challenging part of reaching consensus at scale. And that's one reason like at a technical level, you have the trilemma where networks traditionally have to sacrifice one area to be viable and no one network has truly solved the trilemma at scale. It's one reason why Ethereum has gone through this whole thing to get to the merge, which obviously was recently successful. The whole thing is just an ongoing experiment. And I think too, it's a little bit naive. Like Sometimes you'll make comments or you'll put up a proposal or you'll voice an opinion about it and it'll be met with a lot of contentious spirit. And that's really healthy, I think. It can also slow things down sometimes. And we don't have a perfect governance model either. Humans have been trying to govern themselves for 5,000 plus years and we still haven't gotten it right. I don't know why we would think 1,000th of a timeline within crypto would give us the answer. So I think we have a lot of trial and error ahead of us. Yeah, it's funny. The expectations seem to always be a lot higher when something's moving as fast as this is. I was so excited to have this conversation because I've always been fascinated with Sushi. It represented to me definitely a new form of governance. And I think that it had a history, maybe a tumultuous history of leadership and trying to figure out how to do this for better or for worse. But the thing that struck me is the anti-fragile principle is like, it does not seem to die. Every time there's a mini crisis or something happens, the community of people that are loyal to Sushi that want to keep contributing doesn't seem to erode. But to your point, I think it would be really fascinating now in a leadership role to think about the pros and cons of that, of a community-run governance structure versus having more central authority. You're not the CEO, you're the head chef, but like where your power starts and stops. Talk to me more about the challenges of running an organization that's community-led, if that's the right word to use for sushi, versus maybe a more traditional governance structure. I think just managing expectations effectively and providing your own vision, but realizing that your own vision may be insufficient and that the value of the community is that they can vet your ideas and present new ideas in real time. So that's really exciting. The challenge is to maintain a logical approach and to not take things personal. When I think about maybe what's happened in Sushi's history that has created some of these dramatic events, I just think it's humans taking things personally. And that's a huge challenge for us just as creatures of habit and having our own ideas and a lot of them being based on like evolutionary tribalistic approaches to governance. So I think you just have to step outside of yourself as much as possible. Try not to take things personally and focus on the end goal. Realize you're not going to have the best ideas all the time. You're going to have your fair share of them, but 
just being a sounding board and just being like, hey, you know, that's a good idea. My idea, I liked it, but hey, this guy actually has a much better idea and bringing that into the conversation. I mean, it seems like really sage advice for anyone leading any organization of people. One thing I'm curious about is just how does a decision get made inside Sushi? Like, can you give us an example of how decision making happens? Currently, we're working on refactoring our tokenomics because the current tokenomics structure doesn't set itself up for longevity within Sushi's business model. There are maybe 25 people or so involved in that discussion. There's people from the community. There's people internally from the team. There's people who join the forum, the Sushi forum, and provide feedback on ideas that other community members or team members might post being the way forward for revising the tokenomics. And you kind of just have to, over some time in whatever process you're using in your governance model, distill this down to the best idea. And when you get there, then you tear it apart again. It's kind of like a big Congress. But when the decision is made or we have a proposal that someone feels really strongly about or has gone through like that community vetting process, it gets posted on the forum. We do a temperature check, which is kind of like a soft poll of maybe is this worth taking to snapshot governance or maybe it's just totally off base and needs to go back to the drawing board. And then if it passes after an arbitrary amount of time, there's no amount of time set in stone, but it's usually like two weeks to a month. It'll go to snapshot voting. And if you own tokens, you can vote. Currently, Sushi has a one-to-one token weighting voting mechanism, which isn't optimal, but it's what we have right now. And we're working towards making it more equitable. If it passes snapshot, it goes into law, I guess, if you want to use that terminology. I do. And so in that example, could anyone be one of those 25 people? Yeah, anyone can participate maybe across all of the Telegram and Discord chats that I have in the forum, maybe it's 20 to 30 people that are involved now. But anyone could join in and say, hey, I have an idea for tokenomics. What do you think about this? And send over a PDF or something, and you're part of the conversation. Do you have an example of gridlock that was hit where the benefits of having centralized leadership might have helped? Because I can imagine there's situations where this works really well. And for consensus building and making sure people's voices are heard that want have this opportunity to speak. But then I can also imagine where, to your point earlier, slowing stuff down. And if it was just Jared's the CEO, he's in charge, you could decide which way we're going. What's a situation where like maybe gridlock happened that this structure didn't work as optimal as possible? We're kind of seeing that now in just the timeline to generate new resources for the team to extend a runway and scale. If this was a centralized business, I would just weigh the pros and cons, consult with the team. Someone might disagree, or they might all disagree. But at the end of the day, because I'm the executive in that example, the responsibility of the decision is ultimately on me. I make it, we execute, and we live or die on the decision. You're held accountable for the decision you make as an executive. In this example, it's more like you present the idea, you kind of steward the conversation in the direction you feel is best. But ultimately, if the community decides that they don't want that, it doesn't go forward. The opportunity that that provides for someone in my position is you have to really challenge yourself on how you present and articulate value to the community. People want transparency. Blockchain is supposed to give transparency into all types of industries and verticals. We started with finance, but people want that transparency. And a lot of the times, 
It's just being articulate and showcasing the value. If you come to somebody and you say, give me a dollar, it's the best thing for you. Are they going to just give you a dollar? No. But if you say, hey, give me a dollar because X, Y, Z, and the value that you're showcasing to them is such that they agree with you and then they give you a dollar, that's a different outcome. It's really just about being able to converse with people and building the most equitable and valuable outcomes for everyone who participates. There's like a witticism about democracy not being super efficient. And I think that's really where the challenge is right now is with these one-to-one token voting mechanisms. Are they as equitable for all participants as they can be? And the answer, I think, is no. And we have a real opportunity to like continue to iterate there so that people feel you know, involved. Just listening to you, starting a company and having the ability to make decisions is hard enough. This just seems like a wicked hard role to take on. I'm not saying you're crazy for doing it, but like I am questioning, like you said, this is the opportunity of a lifetime, but this is a really hard, unique role to take on. Yeah, for sure. And maybe I am crazy. I am Italian and Irish, so I probably am slightly insane, but I really like complex challenges. And this is probably for the last six years, seven years-ish of where I focus my professional career, I don't think there's more of a rewarding challenge to take on. And you know, if we're successful, there's a lot of value in it selfishly for me to be able to say, hey, I was here, plant my flag down in that part of history for sushi, and then turn around something that really needs, I think, a lot of TLC in a moment of time where this part of the industry is maybe shrinking a little bit under the weight of the current economic environment we're in, as well as the regulatory uncertainty across the globe. The idea of the community control thing, one thing that struck me, I think I used SushiSwap first as like my first swap before going to Uniswap. And one thing, and you said it a bunch of times, I'm curious how this plays out in your vision as the user experience, that SushiSwap seemed to have all these different features, but I was almost overwhelmed as a newbie. And then SushiSwap, even though it seemed to be less features, it seemed just intuitively easier for me to grasp. So I'm curious where you have all this great, like, hey, we want this, hey, we want this. How do you prevent this problem of feature shock where you're rolling out so many great things, but it doesn't have a consistent, like, this is sushi? That's the challenge. You don't want a bunch of esoteric buttons on the dashboard that are keeping the guy from just driving the car. So that's an area that you just have to do a lot of testing. And you do a lot of focus groups, get a lot of feedback, manage that from a data standpoint and try and build out and present user experience that enriches someone's experience in whatever industry you're building products, not diminish it. So if you can hit on that, you can lead a whole industry. And I think that in crypto, there are a few products that actually accomplish really high value user experiences. Typically, the ones that do are the ones that thrive. That's an area within Sushi as we build out these new products or just revisit our existing product stack and try and improve on it, where we're using the UX like a North Star as a guiding light for us to make sure, okay, is the user enriched here? Are we making it easier for people? You know, we're about to launch a whole initiative called the Sushi Academy, which is to help educate and onboard people into not just crypto and like cast the widest net kind of thing. But if they're in crypto or they're interested, this is going to help onboard them. But then how do they best leverage sushi products 
to get the best experience out of our product stack. Kind of saying on this governance of how stuff is done, how decisions are made. I wanted to go through your election because I thought that was just an interesting takeaway of this whole experience of how you came to decide I want to be the head chef. What was the nomination process like? And then let's get into a little bit more about how voting worked. Since about February this year, I had started doing blockchain consulting, complete roundabout back to where I was 15 years ago, where I started out 15 years ago with consulting. And it was just kind of a natural draw for me to have all this knowledge accrued. And then, you know, there's companies everywhere. They're trying to get into Web3. They're trying to do something with blockchain. They don't know what to do. So consultancy just seemed like a natural fit. So since February, I'd kind of been focused there. It was like, eh, maybe this is, I don't really know if I want to get back into this. You know, I still was raising money for the old project that I was working on and the downturn was kind of dampening that a little bit. So I just reached out maybe like three months ago to an executive recruiter or had one reach out to me through a colleague of mine that I had worked with at Bitfinian, the exchange. And he was like, hey, man, what are you doing now? Are you looking for an executive role? And I said, well, maybe. So the sushi head chef stuff popped up as an opportunity through the executive recruiter. And I was like, no way, this is crazy. I'm definitely going to throw my hat in the ring there. And so came to the forum, met the team, wrote my proposal, got involved with the community. I mean, it was a six-week, eight-week long process that was multiple AMAs, getting up in front of the community, writing proposals debating other candidates. It was actually a really interesting process, to be honest. Ultimately, it was a governance snapshot vote. And we, as candidates, had access to all the same parties to be able to pitch our ideas and showcase our experience and show them and tell them who we are as a person professionally and privately. And I guess my story and experience resonated the most with the people who were voting. And here we are. So that kind of brings an interesting point about voting in general, and then this idea of whales and how people felt about it. The number I got from, I think it was BlockWorks posted that there are 18,000 sushi wallets that were eligible, 391 actually voted, 13 million votes with 11 million coming from the large accounts. So first question on that, you said access. So Golden Tree and Cumberland play a big role in the outcome because of their sizable block plus their willingness to vote. So other people could have voted, but they actually chose to vote. Had you met with them in advance or did you meet with them afterwards? I mean, all of the candidates had an opportunity to court any community member or investor. I spoke with anyone who was going to vote prior to the vote and just pitched myself as the guy to get stuff done. Again, I think that's what resonated with people. I will point out, though, that I think the real challenge here is not so much whale participants because the model itself, again, is one-to-one. One token equals one vote, and it's flawed. There's no doubt about it that if you want equitable distribution of representation, in the U.S., we have representatives, you have delegates, and you have to go caucus as a candidate, and you have to build coalition to be elected to president. If you want to use that example, it's not going to be like one big donor or two big donors. Well, (laughs) it's not supposed to be one or two big donors that determine the outcome of the presidential election. But the model itself, I think, is one of the best in the world. And it's still not super optimal. What we have in 
the sushi example for governance voting is an opportunity to make sure that it is more equitable and that a better model is being ideated and then can be put forward so that people don't feel like, oh, man, I'm not even going to vote because my vote doesn't matter. And they just don't take part because then it becomes more of a whale game if you don't participate. Having that attitude where my vote doesn't matter. That's not just with crypto and sushi. You have a whole initiatives in the US and I'm sure across the rest of the world where they have these types of voting where it's like the get out the vote campaigns where people just go out and they campaign to get people to vote, like go out and vote. It's interesting and listening to you, you can't get like a PTO vote, never mind like a corporate vote. And so I'm curious if you look at this, is your mental model one more like the government? You've compared it to kind of like the electoral college. My instinct was this is just like traditional finance. If there's a board of directors, there's a proxy vote. And the reason why it's one-to-one is that presumably if you have the most money and you're making a vote, you wouldn't vote against your own interest because of equity and a traditional structure. It wasn't that odd. So it's interesting through that lens, if it's a trade file lens, this isn't odd to me that someone could accumulate a big stake and take an activist take and throw out management and put in what they want. But through your lens of the government and thinking about representational democracy, it's a very different lens. So when I think about sushi, which lens do you look at it through? I think it's probably a combination of both of those examples. It's the viewpoint of who I'm thinking about participating in the vote. If we want to make models that create more equitable distribution of voting outcomes, you need to have a model that doesn't incentivize as much that example that you gave where people can go out and accumulate very quickly huge bags and sway the outcomes of votes. And I think in this instance, we have some really great large wallet holders who are participating in the ecosystem because they actually have a lot of desire to see the project succeed. But maybe that's not the case in all of these types of votes. Have you had some early thoughts on ways to modify the voting system that you think would be better for the community? You know, Vitalik actually has several blog posts about this, and I think he probably spends more time on it than I have. There are some really great ideas that he's put forward. And again, because we're in the midst of our tokenomics revamp, we have some proposals that differentiate a token's governance powers from its value. Not that if you have one token, it's one vote, but some type of time-weighted participation factor. And we're going to play around with it. We're going to try and figure out ways to make it better so that people will participate more. Because ultimately... These initiatives, whenever you put a proposal up and you want to get an initiative passed, you need participation. This stuff doesn't work if people don't participate. So if they feel marginalized and sidelined because the system is, in their eyes, so broken, why bother? Then that model has to be improved or your protocol doesn't get better. It's a holistic process as a protocol, like steward almost, you have to improve on it. So we'll have something out. We'll have like probably three or four proposals out in the next couple of weeks where people can go and pick apart and the discussion will continue. And then we'll settle on something probably by December or the end of the year and get it voted in. And that'll be the new sushi model. And how does it work as the leadership of it? Is it just that you do this for as long as you want until you want to do the next thing? Or are there like some series of elections that someone says, I think I could do a better job. I want to just start a vote. How does the transition of power work? in a situation like this? In my situation, the head chef 
compensation package was voted on before the head chef was selected. And within that compensation package, one of the bullet points or line items was that the compensation package and term length of your employment was 24 months. So I'm coded in for 24 months unless I flame out on my own accord and just kind of bounce, which isn't something that I do. I think if you didn't have a contract there and you had someone who felt they could do a better job that, yeah, throw up a governance vote and see what happens. That's kind of the beauty of it. You're being held accountable using the electoral college scenario, you know, and that type of governance model, you're held accountable by your constituents in a more direct fashion than maybe even a senator or a representative is. Oh, yeah. That seems far more so. Moving to regulatory risk, how do you think, how much time do you spend on regulation and this idea of being a company like Unisoft that's in the U.S., Sushi Swap? Where is it based? Like, how do you think about regulatory structure? I think about how do we establish a structure that has compliance and jurisdictions where they're friendly to the type of business model we have, and then making sure that you don't have any one part of that organizational structure being susceptible to a light switch effect where a regulator comes in and just says, nope, not anymore. The process we're following is under pretty close legal counsel to establish a framework that allows us to operate in like a distributed fashion where not any one part of the organization that makes up the DAO carries more liability than the other. And that's just the nature of the beast for now until we have better regulatory guidance to go off of. You know, there's always the concern that regulators are just going to come out and say one thing one day and you don't have time to react. And you just do the best you can. In any industry that's in the space that crypto's in, you have a level of risk that you almost have to accept if you're going to take part. It probably makes a good spot to kind of transition to your proposals because I think of that as what your outlook is for sushi and where you want to take it. And a regulation was one of them. And you kind of touched upon that of how you're focusing on what the best legal structure are. Do you want to just walk us through what some of your other core proposals are for where you want to take sushi in the future? Sushi really has an opportunity to structure itself. And we're kind of moving this already. This is my 13th day as head chef. So it's like some of this stuff is just getting ramped up. But I think of how I would like to see an optimal organizational structure for sushi is you have, for instance, my proposal, I label it Sushi Labs just because it's easy to associate what that means as like a venture arm. And a venture arm doesn't mean like it only takes money from large funds or VCs, but it could be like an offshore token raise that's community driven, but it's not part of the core product stack. So it goes in the venture arm. That's going to be part of a sub-DAO. And a sub-DAO is just a compartmentalized, almost subsidiary of the main DAO that couldn't have its own token. It has its own team, its own treasury, but it's building a product that has some type of composability with the main product stack. So you can build a lot of value for users without saying, okay, this is the sushi wallet. It might be another brand, but it's just feeding back to the main sushi infrastructure. And then, you know, you have the parent DAO, which is kind of like what we are establishing right now with that organizational structure I gave you. Excellent. So we end all of our shows with the same question. 
What are you most excited to see built over the next six months? This is kind of like your 100-day question, I suppose, after day 11. And then what are you most excited to see built over the next six years? I'm super excited to see what we can do with the Venture Arm, the Sushi Labs thing, because there are so many products that the main treasury just doesn't have the ability to finance, at least in its current state. When we get things a little more flush, or maybe the market turns around, grants and stuff like that for products can come about. But there's so many ideas for things that we can build. I guess I'm not specifically excited for any one product, but just the opportunity to have that kind of incubator environment for products, whether it's community members or a team idea or something we want to build directly. You can make that the six-year plan. And then six months, I don't want to give too much away because it could be a competitive edge maybe. But we have a lot of infrastructure build out going into our AMM that we think will bring it into a revenue producing business model and create a more holistic ecosystem. Currently, AMMs don't make money unless you're an LP and you can beat a permanent loss. That for us, if we can make that happen, and it should happen within that six month window, I think will really define the next era of sushi and where it's headed. That'd be huge. Jared, I really appreciate the time. I know you're really busy and onboarding into this new role. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Yeah, Eric, it's a pleasure and happy to be here and answer the questions. Thought it was a great discussion. To find more episodes of Breakdowns or to sign up for our weekly summary, check out joincolossus.com. That's J-O-I-N-C-O-L-O-S-S-U-S dot com. 